0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches. And Medhab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing, will sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. This is the day after last year show. I decided to coin it that because I couldn't come up with a better name. And I have invited some devout athletes of the OCR community to come on board with me to discuss how their year' going, how the new year plans are coming. And all the stuff that's uh, just going to shake out in the course of this conversation. And because Alex Walker has stepped out of the room for a moment, we're going to probably have to introduce her, introduce her last, um, which is not how I would, sh- I would normally do that, but hey, <laughs> it is what it is. So let's start with Jack Bauer. I've got Jack Bauer on the line. Jack is from, what part of Texas do you live in now, Jack?
2: I live in Houston right now, originally from New Hampshire, but I've been down there for a few years.
1: Okay. And right now, you're visiting your folks for the holidays in New Hampshire, right?
2: Yep. Yep. Snowed yesterday, so it was uh, quite quite the change, to say the least. Right.
1: And I have Benjamin Pina, who is living in San Antonio, Texas, I believe. Another uh, amazing athlete and happens to be a client of mine. Actually, this is interesting because all you folks I've worked with at one point or another... And so, Ben, say hello to everybody.
3: Hello, everybody. in San Antonio, Texas. All right.
1: And we don't have Alex yet, right?
3: No, she's not back. I'll let you know.
1: You shout. Okay. So we've got Alex Walker. I'll just go ahead and let you know. Alex is an up-and-comer. She's uh, very devout to the sport. Also working with her and really going to be curious to hear what she has to say about the upcoming year. Going back to Jack one more time. Jack. Give us a sense of what your thoughts were about the way things shook out for you last year, and what your your thoughts are about moving forward into 2016.
2: I'd say that uh, 2015 was a, a very very big learning experience because I think that a lot more capable athletes started doing a lot of races. Um, before you kind of enter a Warrior Dash or or some of these other races and expect to get like top five or so, pretty easy. But the level of competition has gone up significantly. Um, and I also feel that grip strength, that that's been such a huge game changer this past year. Um, and I, I definitely neglected it. Um, so I've realized that it's a, it's a huge thing that you need to focus on. So, but halfway through last year, I decided to team up with the anti cult, um, who you've worked with a little bit, and he's just been hammering home how important OCR just pretty much boils down to running and grip strength. So that's, that's my goals for the the next year, just to make sure that I'm I'm really good at those two areas.
1: Well, I know from looking at the little bio you sent me that your PR for a 5K, I think it was 16. Help me out, 16 and 20, 1620.
2: Yeah, I I got 1607 like five years ago, but I was probably 25 pounds lighter now. Um, I'm pushing 190 pounds right now, and I did a 1629 a couple weeks ago.
1: That's pretty big for a uh, for hey, guy can, yourself. Okay, so let's just kind of catch up with Alex. Alex, we already introduced you, so uh, say hello so people know that you're actually in the room.
0: <laughs> hello. <laughs>
1: so let me just kind of catch you up, Alex. What we're doing is we're just kind of giving a person-by-person overview of uh, how the year shook out and what plans are for next year, and and then we're going to kind of just kick it around after that, Okay. Okay. All right. Good. Back to Jack. Jack, you said sixteen twenty nine at one hundred and ninety pounds, and yeah. you. But you're also pretty familiar with uh, the longer stuff, right? You've, I think I saw that your PR for the half marathon was about a buck twenty.
2: Yeah, but I'm I'm trying to get that faster. But th- that was before I I kind of met with you and learned my real training zones because I was doing way too slow for a lot of my uh, my runs. So I'm hoping to get that down a little bit quicker.
1: And Ben, let's hear a little bit from you. How how's your year shook out and you know, what are your thoughts about going into sixteen?
3: So I'm gonna to have to agree with Jack a lot on what he said about new athletes in the sport. Um, especially and I really know that because this past year I took a chance to branch out. I really started with Spartan Race and I was all about Spartan Race all year long. And this past year I did Savage as well as uh, Battle Frog and a couple of the small ones and uh it's it's definitely it's definitely an eye opener to what as to what else is out there. And uh there's actually a lot of other awesome options now. And like Jack said, the athletes are awesome and you just can't really compare it to a couple of years ago when the sport was really, really young. And uh so yeah, that's really where I was at just branching out this year and checking out what else was out there.
1: Again, we're working together, but um I'm curious to know what your number one event is for two thousand sixteen. What's your target? For a comp play
3: for for sixteen, I really have to say, even from the very beginning of the year, it, it has to be OCR Worlds uh, in Canada this next year. This past year, that was an awesome, awesome event. I mean, from everything about it was just amazing, and I'm really looking forward to it this year. And I really want to see where I place this year compared to last year. Okay, Alex, yes,
1: sir. Are, you, are you close by? I am. <laughs> I know you have liberty to, to leave the room when you choose, so I, I got to be careful. <laughs> Give us a little overview of what you thought your performances looked like for 2015 and what your thoughts are about going into
0: 16. Uh, 2015 was my first year actually ever competing in the, I guess, elite division. And um, it went really well. I placed, I got my Spartan coin for the championship, and then um, I started with the EMC in the summer, and then in the fall is where I started actually placing in races. So...
1: And what's the uh, what's the big event for you leading into sixteen?
0: OCR World Championship in Canada.
1: Okay, so you're both pretty bent on going to Canada for world championships. You didn't say anything about Spartan.
2: Right, we're already registered. Okay, good. I'm in the same boat.
1: Yeah. Okay, let me. Uh, I mean, this is just a off the hook question, but why OCR Championships in Canada versus doing whatever the Spartan's going to throw at us in sixteen?
2: You want to take that, Jack? Um, yeah, sure. So for me, I live in Houston, Texas. There's no chance that I can uh, I can train at elevation. There's very little hills. And I know you can train on a treadmill for that, but it just doesn't prepare you the same way. Um, and just hearing some of the reviews that some people were saying that um, Tahoe, the elevation truly did get to them because they hadn't acclimated to it. I just think that having the option of a short race and a, a longer race at OCR worlds, it just adds to the, the awesome experience that it can be. Um, and I, I just, I've just heard great reviews from OCR worlds and just having all the different countries come there. It just seems like a, a once in a lifetime experience. Man, and I've never again. been to Canada. So, <laughs>
3: um, so yeah, I'm going to have to agree with what Jack said on, uh, again, uh, about OCR worlds this time, because, uh, I personally haven't competed in or even spectated as a Spartan World Championship, but, man, it was just such an awesome event last year to go to. I mean, everything from the pre-race dinner to the post, I mean, just meeting all the different countries and the racers, uh, you know, the whole OCR United feeling, it's just an amazing event to go to, to attend, even if you just spectate.
1: And Alex?
0: Um, I just really enjoyed OCR World Championship. I like the whole idea behind having to complete an obstacle. Um, I've been to Vermont when the World Championship was there. Um, And Vermont, you know, Spartan does a great job at thirds, but I'd rather, I guess it's a game changer if someone gets stuck at an obstacle. It's kind of fun because you never know how you do end up.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Now, do you guys feel like, and it seems like you guys have a common thread here, but do you feel like a lot of the other people that you compete with and you're you're familiar with, you, you feel that the sentiment's pretty common, that they... They are leaning towards events that require that you finish the obstacle opposed to burpeeing out.
3: Yeah, I would definitely, yep. I would definitely say so. I mean, the whole uh, bands over burpees thing, where, uh, like Alex said, it, it's just a complete game changer. Where, and uh, I hate to down anything about Spartan Race. It's such an amazing, you know, series. That's where I started. But um, you know, when you get to an obstacle. And you can look at it and say, oh, can't do that. I'm going to do 30 burpees and continue. It really changes it when you have to do the obstacle. I mean, that can be a complete first place to, you know, 15th place if, you, if you're if you not careful with it. So it's just a – it really makes it what it needs to be.
2: Hmm. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I've been stuck on, for instance, at like a battle frog race, tip of the spear for an hour. And, you know, people who you normally wouldn't lose to – they pass you like nothing. And it, it, you know, what's 30 burpees, it'll take you two to three minutes. That's, that's such a significant time change compared to 40 minutes or an hour or whatever it takes you to get through it. And it, it just makes you strategize a lot different. Cause you're like, okay, I have to save my grip strength for this. Cause I know I'm going to have to, you know, get, just do a long monkey bar session or something involving a lot of grip strength. So you have to, you have to plan your, how you attack the race a little bit better instead of hoping that you can fly through some burpees in a couple minutes if you fail.
1: Well, I, I, have to, I guess I have to agree with you guys. And I think that what, from a spectator value, um, I think it's interesting that you can potentially get a good lead and then lose it and then feel like it's all dashed, and then all of a sudden you find the guy that got ahead of you is stuck somewhere and you pass him again. So it, the whole dynamic of this ever-changing lead or potential to have uh, a fault that – that uh, gets in your way, and, you know, it's just, it, be, it becomes more entertaining, I think.
3: It definitely does. So, I mean, it definitely does, because I know, I know I've seen, I've walked out of a race where I should, you know, maybe hung up on an obstacle for 20 minutes. That that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything until the end of the race, because you don't know who's lost your band or who's lost their band, or if, if like you just said, the first and second place if they might be stuck at an obstacle ahead of you. So it doesn't change anything. If you've been stuck for 15, 20 you still have to race your hardest because you might actually finish first still.
1: Well, that's an interesting conversation because most of the t- conversations I've had with the athletes I speak with, they tend to be pretty pro-Spartan. And, I mean, I understand it, especially since a lot of them are getting a lot of seed money from the Spartan community for their ability to compete, you know, the elite class guys. You know, they get they get the free ride, and, and that does... Uh, that does obviously sway your decision about what events you're going to participate in.
2: I I think that burpees, they really have been uh, behind a whole fitness movement. Like, trust me, I have no, or I have nothing wrong with people doing burpees and 30 burpees is going to kill anybody if you're going hard enough. So it really is a game changer, but I do think that there's just such a different approach to having to, you know, mentally stay on the same obstacle for a half an hour in a row until you can get done with it, that that that's a lot different. Um, and it is kind of weird that if you, if you looked at some of the OCR world championships, not a lot of the Spartan Pro Team people have actually gone there. I'm sure that they would have placed fine, um, but it seems like a lot of them, they focus solely on Spartan race, which, under, which is understandable because they're sponsored by them, but it would be a little bit different if, if everyone competed, this was their, their whole season-long goal um and and it's mandatory obstacle completion and and i know that a lot of those guys they're they're probably not going to fail many obstacles anyway but it would be pretty cool to see them in a race that requires it
1: what do you think alex
0: i definitely think it'd be interesting to see the spartan athletes you know come compete in something where they have to come you know complete the obstacle
1: I think that the obstacles between the different events are bent towards a particular application too. I mean, what I'm saying is, if I was 145 pounds as a guy, I'd probably want to have an event that I can burpee out of one of the more tougher body weight to, uh, oriented obstacles. Don't you think?
0: Definitely. So,
1: like a guy like Max King, who's not a very big guy but can run like a deer, he's going to want to have those options to burpee out of a obstacle so that he could scorch the the run, right? Oh for
2: sure that you you hear hunter mcintyre always saying biceps win races and stuff and i'm i'm a little bit smaller than him but like the heavier the better in my opinion but i bend a little smaller than me so i don't know what what do you what what approach would be better for you
3: so uh, i mean i really feel like whenever you get into that topic that's when ocr really shines as you have to just be all around i mean you have to find that common ground where you're not too light you're not too heavy you know i if I gain five pounds, I feel it when I'm going on an 80 foot rig, you know. At the same, but at the same time, that five pounds, like you just said, is going to be better off of me when I'm running. So you just really have to find the happy medium to really compete with the top athletes in these and these uh, courses where you
2: have to complete everything. Yeah, that's a good, it's pretty much like strength to weight ratio. You need to right. optimize it. That's a really good point. Exactly. Yeah. Alex, do you have good grip strength?
0: Um, I do now. It's getting better. Yancey makes me work on it a lot. So rock mm-hmm. climbing. And I'm learning to rock climb.
1: Yeah. Learning to or you've been rock climbing?
0: Um, I've only done it like a couple of times, like a handful of times, so right. I'm just barely learning.
1: Well that absolutely will make a big difference because rock climbing there's there's nothing there's nothing like it. Uh, you just you get yourself in such precarious positions and you need to have that that grip strength. It's big.
2: But, I saw a video where Ryan Atkins was hanging for like fourteen minutes in a row and <laughs> I want to get to somewhere close to that, but that was insane. He it, it I, seems like he can never be beat in a grip strength thing.
1: Do you uh you guys familiar with uh Jeon Young Park? Mhm. I saw him at the um uh, at the uh, Bahamas event. Uh anybody there? Were you guys there?
3: Uh I was not.
1: Okay. So which I was. We were we're like they have this like uh like a pagoda overhang where there's picnic tables underneath it on the beach, right? And it's probably about 25 feet long by about 10 feet wide, 15 feet wide, something like that. And, uh, you know, all these guys are hanging on everything the whole time they're there. And <laughs> uh, Junyon Park goes up and he, he grabs hold of the edge of the roof. And it's like a tile roof, but there's like a little flashing on the edge of the roof that he's hanging on to with his fingertips. And you got to realize we're in the Bahamas, and it's probably about 90-some-odd degrees and that flashing is scalding hot. Yeah, hot. And he's hanging by like four fingers, and he's licking the other four fingers, going, "Ah, shit, this is hot." <laughs> and, and then he then he like trades hands and licks the other fingers, then trades hands, licks the other fingers, and then proceeds to make his way around the edge of this roof, and, and he circum uh, navigates the entire thing. And everybody else that tried it fried their fingers off like in like the first five seconds, and let go of it, and didn't go back after it again. So, I don't know whether he could hang longer than Ryan can, um, but it would be an interesting contest. Oh,
3: yeah.
2: That would, that would just be insane. I know that completely off topic, but they had some TV show back when I was younger. It was like Man vs. Beast, and they had some Olympic gymnasts um, try to hang on a bar longer than a chimpanzee or an orangutan, <laughs> and they lasted almost a half an hour. And I was like, there's very few people alive who could do something like that, but... They'd be, they'd be good at OCR, I'd imagine, also.
1: The orangutan obviously lasted longer than the human, right?
2: And, it, and it, of course, it didn't even ra- realize it was in the contest. It was just, like, <laughs> just chilling up on the bar. So. But, yeah, the human lost.
1: Uh, you know, if you're if you're a smart human, you try to, like, tickle the orangutan or something to get him to drop uh, it. I was going
3: right? to say punch the orangutan in the face. <laughs> <laughs> throw,
1: throw a banana on the floor well, or something. that might not to be, be smart human. Human. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So interesting conversation here. Uh, the 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 concept of strength to weight ratio keeps coming up, and collectively, I've been hearing from people, and I've had people ask me, you know, what what would be the most ideal strength to weight ratio? And obviously, the stronger you are relative to your weight, the better. But then it becomes a problem of energy cost, right? Yeah. So, like yeah. Jack suggested, the bigger the better. I, I don't know that I can agree with that because
2: it yeah, cost- that was a blind statement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree, though. It, it
1: costs a lot more to push your body through space than it would, for example, Alex's. Mm-hmm. Right. testament of that would be looking at what Amelia Boone did at the World's Toughest mutter. She was, like, in the top ten overall, beating a lot of uh, pretty studly guys. And I just think that, you know, when it comes down to being out for a long time and energy demands being very, very high, that lighter build really starts to win the day starts to make a big difference. I guess the, the question is, how do I identify the appropriate weight for myself relative to the need of strength? That's the $50,000 question, right? Right,
3: yeah. Absolutely.
1: And you guys might have noticed that I posted recently about getting a resting metabolic assessment.
3: Mm-hmm. Right, I did see that.
1: And it's like glossed over. Most people don't understand why that would be of any value to them. And I could tell you that for, I don't know, for years we've been doing tests like that. And essentially what it does is that you lay on a table, and hopefully we do this in a fasted state. So first thing in the morning, no food in the system. And lay you down and then capture a gas analysis for 15 minutes. And what it does is it determines how many calories your body would require if you were to do nothing at all. Right. And they do this quite a lot in hospitals where they have patients that have had had traumas or in a coma or something like that. need to feed them. Yeah, yeah, how much to feed them and what the requirements look like. But um, we do the test because when we identify what the system requires just to be maintained, then you can start taking into account the level of activity that you're involved in and then the caloric expense associated with that, and then truly how many calories you should be getting, and then you start to develop uh, meal plans around it. So you start thinking about how many calories you should be getting relative to the point in the day, how many calories from carbohydrate versus protein and fat, and you can really get to a pretty clean place where uh, if your goal is to drop body fat, you can do a better job at that, where a lot of times when people think in terms of just trying to lose weight, the first thing they do is they cut their calories back. And then if you cut your calories too far back, then you get into trouble because you start sacrificing lean tissue.
3: Right.
1: So I haven't had a chance to really grab an OCR athlete and put them through that process where we really try to get very, very finite about the amount of food, when they get it, type of foods they're going to consume relative to what their body requires and track it over time. But I would believe that that's probably...
3: That would put you where you need to be?
1: I think it would put you a lot closer to where you need to be in an approach. So, for example, if you were to to say, well, look, I'm going to cut 500 calories out of my diet. And if you're wrong, believe it or not, if you're wrong by half that, meaning that you're in debt by 250 calories a day more than you should be, it might put you in a bad place where you start to scavenge off your lean muscle opposed to just pulling off your fat stores because it becomes a function of carbohydrate storage and fat utilization. And But anyway, you can get to this really cool place and balance your diet out to a place where your performance really improves. We did this with uh, an MMA fighter several years ago where it was an interesting problem. The guy came to us and said, look, I'm 40 years old and I'm an MMA fighter and all the guys I fight are around 25 years old. He said, I run out of energy, and then I get my ass kicked, right? And he goes, when you're dealing with uh, endurance athletes, runners and what have you, if they start to get tired or run out of uh, energy, they just stop. He goes, if I stop, I can get beat up. <laughs> so he, yeah. he, he, uh, he said he couldn't afford to have that happen anymore, so we we uh, put him on a meal plan and what we did was we obviously took the resting metabolic assessment and we very carefully followed him and and kept an eye on his diet and you know communicated back and forth to see how he's feeling and what have you and it was interesting because initially the first thing he felt was he felt bloated he felt like he was really puffy and yeah. the reason that happened was because he had been really in a very heavily carb restricted diet Uh, Pretty much high protein, really, really cut the carbs out. Looked great, but wasn't functioning very well. And putting putting carbs back in his life really had an adverse influence over him for the first week or so. But then all that water started to fall off, and then he started to show up again. His body was starting to look lean again, and his performance started to improve. And he was back in the game. He was starting to win fights, and and things were turning his way. And there wasn't really a big shift in his body weight. He lost maybe five, ten pounds and initially gained 5, then lost 5, then gained 5. And he kind of settled down, but his energy levels really, really took hold, and he started to perform a whole lot better. And what's, what's interesting about all this conversation, in my mind, is that from an outward perspective, like I look at Jack, you know, Jack's a specimen. He may not be aware that he's not getting enough fuel, and that could be a costly dilemma over time. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, any of you for that matter.
2: I just have a question on that um, in terms of like strength to weight ratio and body fat. Um, I think it kind of ties into our goals for next year, how we're all looking for the OCR World Championships. That's kind of our our A race. And that's in Toronto in October. So it's going to be a little bit colder. All these races, they tend to be late fall or early fall or so in a colder environment. So. Most people think when, if you want to have a better strength to weight ratio, you need to get your weight down, your body fat percent lower, just so you don't have much extra on you. But for these colder races, it seems like if you're too lean, it's really going to be detrimental to you because you know you're you just can't stay warm. And do you have any any comments on that? Well, if there's like a certain point,
1: I think the uh, the interesting thing about what you said was being where we are today and your game being in October. So. Uh, having Game Face on by October and then Mm. looking at the scenario being that you're going to be in a colder environment, what should you do? So a lot of things can happen between now and October. What I would think is opposed to what is very typical and what I'm seeing a lot of is that you get a lot of guys that are, they're either the, the switch is on or the switch is off. I mean, they're like all into something or they're off of it completely. And what I'm referring to is either these Fat-adapted diets or going completely vegan and all these drastic approaches to try to improve or change their body composition. And I don't think that's the way to do it. I'm actually writing a diet right now. I'm going to to market it. But it's simpler than people make it out to be. It's just these little subtle shifts in the way you consume energy and really paying close, close attention to what's going on with your body while you're going through that process. You have a lot of time between now and October. I would almost venture to say that getting leaner first and getting strong as you can first. And then when you go into a taper for an event that's going to be, we're talking about a 14-mile event, correct?
2: Uh, well, they have the short and the long distance this year. I think okay. they have a 3K and like a 10-mile. Um, don't quote me on it. Yeah. but
1: Well, be that as it may, going up to the event, I still recommend a taper. And yeah. during that taper, I would suggest that allowing yourself to put on a few pounds would not be a bad thing. Putting on just a few pounds of extra water weight is what really what it boils down to is going to insulate you, believe it or not you you know you're not going to get fat in those in that week or so you're you're probably just <laughs> going to start taking on a little bit more water than you typically might. And It'll I probably think that,
2: feel like we're getting fat, though. But. Yeah,
1: well, you're going to look like it too. You're going to you're going to look like you're a little puffier than you might have been the week before. But I think going into an event, that's probably a security blanket. It might be a good idea to to, to gather that up. And then the same notion being that uh, going into a hot event, you know, I used to work a lot with the the guys that uh, participate in the Ironman and Kona, and it's hot as hell out there. You know, obviously they go into a traditional taper prior to the event. But they, if they're smart, they make uh interesting adjustments to their diet intake leading up to the event, and they generally feel puffy and a little little sluggish and fat going into the race and and that generally serves as a healing process because whatever stripping away you've done of your muscles, your energy costs are gonna be stronger when you when you hit it with a little bit more weight on you, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I
3: have to, I have to say, as far as going to these cold races, uh, you know, I would think, and I'm sure you'll have, you know, something to say on this. Regardless of your strength to weight ratio, when you go into these cold races, unless you're training for that and you know how to, you know, what it's going to be exactly like, you know, like you we keep saying, the energy consumption is going to be so high. uh, The way I always tell myself is a. hydration and chow is constant so during these races you have to keep your body energized with external resources you can't just always rely on you know going into it dry that's how i look at it
1: yeah alex do you have a particular food you like to consume in a long race
0: um i love peanut butter
1: do you i do and how do you how do you carry it with you
0: those little packages that um H-E-B, our the grocery store carries them, but they're little peanut butter packages, and I kind of just fold it over, and I have a flip belt that I usually wear when I run, and I stuff it in there.
1: Huh. Wow. That's interesting.
0: I think this past OCR World Championship, I, like, had a bunch left over, so when runners would run by, I handed them to them. So.
1: What led you to that?
0: They were all cold. Everybody's freezing. It was a very cold race, and a lot of people didn't bring food with them. They would have their goo, and they would have no, their I meant, water.
1: No, I, I meant what led you to, to use peanut butter as an energy source.
0: I don't know. I guess with running, and somebody had mentioned like to eat it, um, and then when I went to Vermont for the Ultra Beast, someone handed it to me as well, and I, it made me feel so much better. I was cold there, and I warmed up real quick, and Ever since then, I I just always used it.
1: Huh. How long does it take for you to start noticing the difference?
0: Um, Usually about 15 to 30 minutes it will hit me. It's not quick, but...
1: Yeah, that was my concern, is that when you get to a place where you think you need it, it, you don't want to have to wait 30 minutes to get it, right?
0: Right, but I usually time it. Like, I know my body, where it's at, I guess, in the race, and so... Usually about three miles in, I'll have a goo. Six miles in, I'll have peanut butter. Like I know where more or less throughout the race where I can and cannot take it in before I feel miserable.
1: Huh. Do you prefer chunky or smooth?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Smooth when I'm eating it.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, I've seen so many different things used on a race course. You guys are too young to remember, but back in the day when we were doing triathlons, um, there was no such thing as these energy replacement products. There was, uh, I mean, this is before even Power Bar showed up on the scene. And the race courses had de-fizzed Coke. <laughs> so what they would do is that, you know, I, I used to put on these events. So we would get these, um, you know, uh, uh, about two-liter bottles, plastic bottles of Coke. And uh, we would unscrew the caps the night before to kind of get the fizz out of them. And then set them out on the race course, and you know we're racing in Hawaii, and it's ninety degrees, and you have this warm, deep Coke. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it works. Huh. I mean, not yeah, delicious.
3: Funny, it's funny you say that because uh, the only other, the only time that I've seen something like that is when I was in the Marines. I would see a bunch of Marines would, uh, they would get the Monster Energy drinks, right? And they would, do the, they would do the same thing. They would open it and they would leave it in the fridge overnight or for a day or whatever and uh you drink it and it keeps you from burping it up.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, it goes flat and it's it's just lovely, you know, yeah. lovely to drink after a nice warm day and you're 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 really really thirsty after nice
2: a mile bike ride. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, but anyway. So, um Jack, what about you? What do you do for your feeding?
2: Now, for me, I I actually didn't really experiment with e- eating during a race until I think it was Battlefrog Chicago this year. And I don't know, I think the term gets overused a lot, but I felt like I bonked, like I just had no energy. I, I, I kept trying a couple or one obstacle for 45, 50 minutes in a row and I just had no energy. Um, and then, so the next race I decided to, you're going to laugh, but I bought like a little fanny pack and I put a couple of cliff, um, cliff bar shots, you know, those little blocks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I put some of those in and then what I decided to do, I think it was the battle frog Austin race. I ran and looked at my watch 45 minutes in, I, I ate two of them. And then I decided to take off five minutes every single time. So like once the next 40 minute interval then 35 minutes, then 30, just cause I felt like I might be breaking down, but I had no rhyme or reason to why I was doing it. It just kind of felt like that was a, a way to get a little bit of quick energy to my system. And I've done it a few times, but for races that are less than an hour or so, I don't Really think that you need in race fueling as much as a as a longer grind where it might you might be out there for two plus hours. Well,
1: clearly inside of an hour you can get away with it, but I got to tell you, you do lose performance when you when you even within
2: to, an
1: hour. Oh yeah, yeah. You, but you if you were really to challenge your performance decrement, you actually do start to lose performance. You probably lose about fifteen twenty percent of your performance. When you're about 45 minutes deep, you're not going to bonk inside of an hour, but you can definitely lose some of your performance, say 45 minutes into the race.
3: Yeah, I mean, I know me personally. If I go into a, usually a savage race or a Spartan sprint or something, and like you just said, 45 minutes is kind of the mark for me. 45 minutes to an hour. Past that, you start falling off big time and and just like Alex said, she kind of knows where she needs it. Uh, I usually snack and, you know, eat whatever I want to eat as a preventative. I, I don't wait for it. I don't wait for that feeling of, oh, man, I'm in the hole. Uh, I I, read, I remember reading a long time ago uh, ultra running magazine that said, you know, 15 minutes into the race, I, start, I, hit, I hit my first snack. And, uh, you know, 15 minutes, you're not going to feel it. But in, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes after that point, you're going to need
2: it.
1: So. Well, I could tell you that. When I work with marathoners, I'll go out, you know, training marathoners on a 20-mile course. You know, I usually have them do a couple 20-milers before their race. And I will go out and have them, wherever they're running, I'll get out there with my car, I'll fill the back of my car up with a couple of big jugs full of product, and I will force them to take product every 15 minutes.
3: Right.
1: And I'll like the entire give them... Race. Wow. Yeah, I'll give them like, um, well, depending on who I'm dealing with. So for, you know, I got men and women on this on this training course. The men, I typically will force them to take a goo or some type of, you know, heavier product within an hour. But every 15 minutes, I have them take about four ounces of uh, electrolyte carbohydrate concoction. At the time, I was using, um, what's the name of the stuff? I was sponsored by these guys. Um Yeah, they quit giving me money. I forgot who they were. (laughs) But um, you pick your poison. I mean, there's so many different things you can do. Scratch, I think, is a good product. Scratch doesn't have a ton of carbohydrate in it, but it does have electrolytes. So you never know what the devil's going to be in the deal. It could be that you're starting to sweat off a lot of electrolytes, and that becomes a problem. That could happen really early. You know, if it's hot enough out or even cold enough out, you could end up really dumping a lot of electrolytes out start cramping up or... Your performance starts to fall off, and it's not a function of energy. It's a function of electrolyte imbalance. So I'll have guys take product on, and they'll fight me all through it. You know, I'm saying, take it. No, I don't know. I'm good. I don't need it. I just gave it to me a little while ago. I said, just drink it. And then two (laughs) hours deep, they're thanking me because they're feeling so much better.
3: Yeah, you know what you're reminding me of is uh, that's a big thing that, that all of the pit crew at World's Toughest Mudder, it's beat into them. So your racers are not going to want to eat. They're not going to feel like they need it. But as a pit crew, you have to be the one telling them, eat it, eat it, eat it, take it, take it, take it, because your body
1: needs it. That's right. You don't want to wait till you start to notice there's a problem because it takes a lot longer to fix the problem after you start to notice it.
2: Right. So, it's, kind of, it's kind of like if your your pee's yellow, you're already dehydrated. Like right. you, you were dehydrated a long time before that. So right. if you can have a little preventative measure before that. That makes more sense.
1: Well, and then it becomes a problem with obstacle racing. Obviously, it's not very easy to carry uh, water bottles or what have you. You know, you could carry these... um, Camelbacks? Camelback, yeah. You you could use a Camelback. A lot of people don't like putting product in their Camelback because it's hard to clean. But you can, uh, if you can just make a conscious effort, even to take a little squirt before you get on a, a rig, or before you get onto an obstacle or, you know, just, just a little bit. You don't need much because the way the hierarchy works with your energy costs is that your body starts to slave off the bloodstream first. So if you can keep your bloodstream topped off, and that's just little bits of sugar in your system, you will conserve the glycogen stores in the muscle. Uh, when you get to the place where you're you've stripped all the sugar out of your blood and it starts going after the muscle, then you got a problem because then you're really starting to put a dent in your energy cost. So just even if it seems like it's not doing that much for you, it does keep you in a better place.
3: Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what that Navy SEAL that was on your show was saying. He pops a bubble gum in every now and then just a little bit of sugar. To
1: yeah, that was an interesting going. conversation. I, I think that uh, I could see where bubble gum might work. I don't know. I hate to get it stuck in my throat. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've I've chewed on craisins and just little tiny quick things like that a couple times and it just I think it's more of a mental thing. You're like, oh okay, here's some food. I can relax a little bit. Like that, I've sort of got that feeling.
1: The Scratch Labs has this new product that's called Fruit Drops, and it's basically what it says. It's it's like natural fruit. What the heck was that?
2: What an awful
3: song. Somebody might may or may not have played on their phone. It's going to take
1: about four hours for me to edit this show.
0: I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> but anyway, uh, the Fruit Drops from Scratch Labs, it's just natural fruit. It's not even encased in any kind of wax. They talked about like the shot blocks you were talking about earlier. They're They're actually waxy, and it kind of gets in your mouth, and it's kind of gacky after a while. And, and I've tried it because they sent me some, and I've tried them. Unbelievable. I couldn't believe uh, how much difference the energy uh, repayment was for me. And I'm a big guy. Uh, I just ate like a you know, just nibbling on a bag of these fruit drops. I was golden after huh. a couple hours. It, was, it actually worked out pretty well.
3: That's really cool. I'm interested and in that. It's to... Scratch.
1: Well, Scratch Labs is the name of the company that makes them. They actually have some really cool stuff. If you're into more holistic stuff, they've got um, – a couple of cookbooks that they created. And one of them is called Feed Zone Portables. And it's just foods that you could create yourself. And they even sell you the the little Mylar wrappers that you can wrap the stuff up in so you can make your own energy uh, replacement products.
2: That's cool.
1: Yeah, Good it is you know. very cool. I've got the book. It's pretty amazing. It really is. However, anyway, so let's get back to this whole New Year's thing, you know. I, I like to look at this this time of year as, as a time to kind of reflect on how things went the prior year. And, you know, obviously as a competitor, you, you want to think about what you need to change, what you need to do moving forward into 2016 so that you can end up in a better place. And we kind of toyed with it a little bit and kind of got off track. But if you had to pick, and I'm going to ask each one of you, if you had to pick one thing that you absolutely had on your need to get sorted out list, what would it be? Let's start with you, Jack.
2: Okay. By far, um, I I would say that I just need to become better with my running mechanics. I I was doing a little bit of thinking ever since your workshop at the beginning of December. And it's kind of like saving for retirement. You know it's the right thing to do and it's going to pay off in the end, but no one wants to do it. But And it's kind of the same thing with with running it's your off season you know that you'll minimize injuries you'll become more efficient you'll race faster if you can finally get your form down but no one really takes the time all that they do is see everybody on their Facebook page doing a million miles and all these crazy workouts and they just want to try to duplicate that instead of just spending a month or two refining themselves getting them on the right track and and I think that for me the beginning, the next couple months before the race season starts, all I want to do is get my mechanics down better.
1: I need to put you in charge of my marketing. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't have said that better myself. Yeah,
2: all you have have to do is just hook me up with that guy uh, who's the executive chef in Las Vegas. Exactly.
1: And, And, you know, by the way, Jesse is actually one of my clients, and he is all about the running mechanics. So there's a meal in this, somewhere, I'm sure there is.
3: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so, um,
1: Ben, what's your thought?
3: Yeah, you know, all this following Jack is starting to bite me in the butt here because i got to agree with him again. Um, uh, I'm feeling the same way. The way, I, the way I look at it is, you know, everybody grows up running. Everybody grows up doing a bunch of things. Like you grow up, maybe you can throw a punch, but you never know that you might be doing it wrong, and you throw the one punch wrong one time, and you're going to hurt your wrist for the rest of your life. It's just like running. You know, you grow up running on the playground, but you might have been doing it wrong your whole life, and it's kind of biting me in the butt right now because I've been doing some, I've been making some mistakes in my running myself, and I'm kind of, you know, paying for it right now, but just like Jack said, you have to take the time to refine it before, uh, before you can continue in your clinic, uh, where you expound on something that's wrong. So, you know, if you're running, you want to run more, you want to run faster, make sure you get it right before you do either of those, because it's just going to hurt you in the end. But there's one thing I had to focus on, uh, you know, going into 2016, I, I really need to focus on my running. I can't say I had, I don't think every obstacle was easy, but, um, That wasn't where my problem was. My problem was definitely completely an obstacle, and it was an in-between where I would get passed up by uh, people. The first person that comes to mind is K.K. Stewart-Paul, but uh, that's definitely where I need to be in the beginning of 2016.
1: How about you, Alex?
0: Uh, Definitely for me it will be grip work as well as getting my running form down.
1: Mm. Well, you know, i got to tell you, um Obviously, I would share your sentiments because i 've been banging the drum for years about running mechanics, and it 's difficult as Jack put it so eloquently it's it 's very, very difficult to just slow things down, work on straightening the problems out, and you feel like you're you 're missing something if you do that. And I find just through my own experience, I mean, you guys, uh, I know I'm new to you, but I've been doing this a long time. And and I've been doing it, uh, you know, for a better part of a year with OCR athletes, but have been doing this with runners and triathletes for several years. And I always have about, oh, it's probably, but to be honest, it's about 10% of the people that I see that actually do what they're supposed to do and then i start getting these messages from them talking about the success that they've achieved and a lot of the people give up they just oh man you know screw it i'm just going to i'm just going to go do what i do and you know i'll just i'll work it out and so i end up having more people come to me with serious intent when they're hurt because there's nothing like pain to make a coward out of you you know <laughs> You, you will absolutely change your ways when you're in pain. Example being, you get a guy that's really a good athlete and he's performing well already, and then you tell him he needs to slow down to get faster, that's a tough sell. It's a really tough sell. Um, but going back to what Alex said about the grip strength, and I think that it's important to note that you don't have to sacrifice the upper body strength exercises to improve your running mechanics. I mean, those two components could run hand in hand very, very well and very, very easily and not have adverse effect on one another. You know, in simple terms, if you focused on the running in the morning and your strength in the evening, as a rule, you should be fine or, you know, have days in the world of triathlon, they call it a brick where you put all events together, where you might go out and swim, then, you know, get on your bike and ride and then run. You put it all together in the same day to see how it all shakes out, which is very much akin to what obstacle racing is. It's just various obstacles that you have to contend with, learn to get better at. And, again, it it should not have an adverse influence over your ability to improve your running. And then the final note on this is that it doesn't take as long as most people think. When people slow down for a week or so, oh, my God, they just think that life is over. Or if they start to go, oh no way, am I going to have to do this? For na 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 na. I mean, I hear the belly aching all the time. But if you stick it out, I get this aha moment. Somebody calls me and says, dude, you're not going to believe what just happened. And they start giving me all. the Matter of fact, I got, I got a message today from Nicodemus Holland. He's also, by the way, out on the East Coast visiting uh, some family. And he said, yeah, you know, I went out for a nice long run today, and I was holding a 730 pace, and my heart rate was 130 beats per minute. Wow. Where normally that would have been for him probably closer to 145. I mean, it doesn't seem like a big difference, but that 15 beats per minute is a huge difference where energy costs it. It's a big difference in energy cost. So he's able to, I mean, let's face it, if you're going to go long, in his case, that's pretty much all he does. If he goes out and he can run a 7:30 pace all day long, that's 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 cooking, right? Yep. I mean, we're not talking yep. about running a, a half marathon. We're talking about running 50, 60, 70, hundred miles. And if he could stay anywhere near seven thirty eight minute mile for that distance, that's fast. That's really fast, right?
3: Yeah, that's lightning.
1: Yeah. You
3: so. can't even fathom.
1: And you know, he's one of those guys where he, when we kind of got together, and he was very uh, anal. About the whole process, he was really—I mean—he's the kind of guy. He comes to visit me, and he'll start taking notes. You know, he gets pad, padded paper out and starts taking notes, and he really, really focused on getting things worked out. And the day that you saw him running, actually both him and Miguel—they um, looked good. I mean, at speed, these guys were running like a deer. Their the contact points were good, and I haven't known those guys that long. I mean, to be honest with you, I've only worked with Miguel. Uh, for a pretty short period of time. And same thing with Nick. I mean, Nick came to me, I mean, I knew him, but physically having uh, training involvement with him has not been but a few months. And so when you think of it in the scheme of things, if you started doing the right thing here in, well, we're not in December anymore, we're in January, but if you started doing some the things right in January, you're looking at by, you know, going into March, you could be a completely different athlete.
2: And yeah.
1: I think I think that's a hell of an investment.
2: Now, I I sort of had one of those aha moments today or yesterday. I was running in the snow and you know, I had to cross the street just with a car coming and I look back and my my footprints look different. And I've been super anal about trying to make sure that I have like a midfoot strike and try not to overstride and I'll 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 get my heart rate down, um kind of like what you went over in the workshop to make sure that um my form's right when I reach my mechanical threshold, but it just I looked at my footprints and they they're not kicking up snow the way that they used to when I was running in in high school and stuff like i f- I feel like i'm I'm getting it more, and that's a really good feeling, yeah,
1: Alex. how's it coming for you? You starting to get there?
0: I'm um, slowly, but surely I'll have to say like the first couple of days of doing it was mentally frustrating because you're just trying to figure it all out. But like you said, I would be frustrated, and over time it would get better. But definitely today, you know, I play the 180 beats per minute, and it's just getting easier.
1: Good. That's probably one of the first things that people want to throw out. Isn't that right, Ben? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, I when you, when you try to think, oh, man, i got to move my feet that fast? and yeah. But as you start to open your stride up, that 180 starts to work. It's really cumbersome when you're going slow, but once you start to kind of get into your groove, that it starts to fall into place very nicely. And I'll have people come at me with all these different, well, what about this and what about that? And I'm thinking, well, you know, even if I'm wrong, the one thing that makes a huge difference and nobody ever talks about is that when you can create this bilateral equivalence, when both feet are doing the same amount of work, you're way, way ahead of the game because people get injured one leg at a time. They don't get injured on both legs at the same time, which in itself is testament that there's an imbalance. If you're reaching ahead of yourself with one leg dominantly or pushing off harder with one leg dominantly, you set yourself up for compensatory injuries. And when both feet are doing the same amount of work, you balance out, and the cost of work will start to drop. So regardless if it's at 180, 200, or 150, it's still if nothing else be the case because you're you've kind of equalized the workload you're already in a better place it just so happens that 180 turns out to be a better place than 150 or 200 right
2: yeah. download a download a metronome and run with one and just no matter how hard it is, try to run at 180 beats a minute. Just type in that for the speed. And after a week, you, you can take the thing away, and I guarantee you you'll be right on spot with it.
1: And I find that to be common. I find that to be very common. It's like, hey, go yeah. ahead.
3: No, I was going to say, you know, uh, I, I was asking you the other day for examples of different things, and you might, you might like to hear that uh, uh, there's a, a racer here in a pretty prominent racing in the Spartan Matt Willis, and I was sharing with him what, what you shared with us on why leading with your knees and all that stuff, and he was really taken to it. He wrote me, uh, and he, he's actually kind of a guy I kind of look up to. I would like to, you know, be where he's at. And he uh, messaged me on Facebook a couple of days after that, and uh, he really started paying attention to his cadence and, uh, I guess, his soon-to-watch whatever gadgets he uses. Uh, he started tracking it, and his average cadence was uh, one seventy-eight to one eighty-two, or something like
0: that. Wow!
1: Well, how did he feel? Did he did he have any remark about what was Getting easier, or whether it was making him faster?
3: Yeah. So he—he. He, well, no, no, no. I'm saying he, he wasn't adjusting anything. That—that's where he runs at, and he oh. does run pretty prominently injury free. I mean, sure, everyone has you know this or that, but every now and then. But that's just where he is.
1: Well, I got to tell you, most most of the runners I see are r- right at about 160 strides per minute. If, if you're if you're overstriding, and regardless of whether you're heel striking or landing on your your forefoot. If you're overstriding, most people are at 160.
3: Yeah.
1: And I'll see it when they send me the data. All right. So we, uh, we've we identified that in the early season, we're going to start correcting the running flaws that we've identified. What else is I, important?
2: Well, I have one more thing to add on the running flaws. Just, yeah. just think of it you know you're in baseball or you're a quarterback in football you have a pitching coach you have a quarterback's coach and they they teach you how to do it right exactly. like they don't just send you out there and say pitch or throw throw it 60 yards whatever you learn to do it right and for some reason it seems like in running that just never gets taught you're just told right. to go out and run so I think you just got to learn it over again even if you in your 20s you're like but I've been running my whole life you've probably been doing it wrong like Ben said and Tumbling, like seeing a breakdown, how you've when you just to prove that you've been doing it wrong, but you just gotta take that time as as hard as it will be, even if you're going a couple minutes slower per mile at the beginning, it'll it'll pay off a ton and I'm I'm sure of that
1: on that note I gotta share with you that um I work with kids and I get I work with kids that are in high school level, cross country, uh sometimes in soccer, track and field, and I go through the same minutia that I went with you guys. I'll do a video analysis of the way they're moving. And then I'll show them all the mistakes they're making. And I'll get kids that are pretty good runners. I'm talking about fast runners. And they're looking at competing at a very high level, looking at potentially uh, scholarship opportunities. And the parents are all proud Oh, Billy can run this fast and blah, blah, blah. And they always want to throw the stats at me. And I'm looking at him going, well, you know what? I've got to be honest with you, kid he runs like crap. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. and I show them what's going on and I show them what's going wrong and I show them how to fix it and then we set about doing the work and with kids um, that I work with you know, they're not at a distance they generally live within driving range and I'll see them often You know, I'll, usually I schedule them for about eight personal sessions where they come and see me and sometimes it's like twice a week gets down to once a week some of them go longer than the eight sessions. After usually after they they have their aha moment and everybody starts to notice. Oh, oh crap! He's now he's flying. Uh, this is when the parents want to get their wallet back out again. But um, it's it's really interesting that the the point you made about you know having a coach that is very specific to the 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 talent or the sport. Where in cross country, what you typically find, and I apologize to anyone that's listening to this, that might think I'm bagging on cross country coaches. But they typically are in that position because they ran in school, and they learned how to run from their running coach who ran in school. And you can go back 50 years as to where their education came from for the way they run. And nobody really talked about how to run 50 years ago. And quite frankly, if you go far enough back, the type of running shoes that athletes wore back then were all neutral and pretty much flat, zero-drop type shoes. And it was a rare occasion where a guy would run on his heels back then. Yeah. But, you know, in the 80s, when they started manufacturing shoes that had elevated heels and all this cushioning, it kind of changed the game. And now everybody's running on their heels, or at least at least used to be. I, if I go back five years, it was a, a really sore point with most uh, running shops. They had... they had the Brooks Beast and all these, you know, bizarre uh, shoes to correct the way you're moving. And everybody ran like crap, and people were getting hurt. And the kids don't get hurt because the kids usually only weigh a buck five, right? You know, I mean, I got a kid I'm working with right now. He's a cross-country runner. He's going to be a senior this year coming up. He weighs 123 pounds, right? (laughs) He can run six-minute miles all day long. But that's not what he needs to run. He's got to run sub five if he wants to, if he wants to get an education. And it's by the way, if you've been paying attention to it, the competition for scholarships for cross country running is massive now. There's a lot of fast runners out there. We
2: had we yeah. had three total scholarships at University of New Hampshire for my team, like split up amongst everybody. So it, it's and that's a smaller school, but like it, you have to be pretty, pretty good to get one.
1: What what were the times to qualify for a scholarship? What they look at?
2: I mean, we had we had some guy who was like a one fifty one eight hundred guy. Um, a couple guys ended up running low fourteens in college, but it, it was mainly you know you'd get a, a quarter scholarship to someone else, a quarter here. It wasn't like three three people got everything. They tried splitting it up, but they 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 were definitely faster times. And six minute pace wouldn't cut it.
1: Well, there's a there's a private school here in California, very near me in, in Ojai. It's a very expensive, very exclusive private school. And uh, the running coach there has been there for probably 30, 40 years. And I got one of their, it was a girl actually that came to me. And, you know, their focus was to try to get her faster. They didn't think there was any issue with the way she ran. But she turned out to be, well, you know, take this back. I'm I'm talking about the wrong girl. The first girl that came to me was referred to me by an orthopedic surgeon because she had broken her tibia, and she broke it playing soccer, but she was also a cross-country runner, and they basically wrote her off. It was like mid-season. She's not going to be able to run anymore. I got her running again, and she ended up getting a scholarship at the University of Oregon, I think it was. <laughs> wow. And she she was a senior when I got her, and she was already mid-season in cross-country. And she went from, like, very despondent, inability to run, and we got her back in the game, and she crushed it. She was, we got her off her heels, got her moving better, and she started moving faster. And then the coach identified that there was something going on with what I was doing, and then I started to get this stream of kids from that very same school that would come down to see me, and, and we worked with them, and... After it, it was like uh, you know the game at Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know if you guys have a Chuck E. Cheese franchise in, in yeah. Texas, but where they you know they yeah, got my that friend g- used
2: to be the mouse. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> they've got that game called Whack a Mole. Yeah. you know where the heads pop up and well, the kids that I worked with their heads never popped up when they're running on the track. I mean, I, I physically went down and videoed the entire team running, and the, there were three or four kids that I worked with out of the out of the group were sailing. There was no bounce at all in the way they were moving, and you could you could pick them out. It was like if you painted them black, you it would have been that obvious to you what they looked like relative to what the rest of the team was looking like. Yeah. And and to make the story short, if I could possibly do that, the coach came to me and he he requested funding from the school for him and his assistant coach to spend six hours with me to help me work with him on how to train his kids. <laughs> And and that was kind of cool because, you know, here's a guy who's been in the game a long time, and he realized that there was a big difference in what we were, was happening in a very short period of time with the kids that I worked with versus the kids that he was coaching for years.
3: So, yeah, that's amazing.
1: For whatever it's worth, um, you know, I, I guess I just beat this dead horse. But um, it, it's worth the investment. It's worth the time and energy to get it all sorted out. Yeah, that's awesome.
2: <clears throat> so what's
1: the first race, guys?
2: Oof, in Texas, pretty much because of the weather, everything's loaded in March and April. So it's pretty. <laughs> my girlfriend's not going to like me, but I'm I'm pretty much doing a race every, every week, or so probably about eight straight weekends. And then there's not much during the rest of the year, unless you want to travel outside the state, just because of the weather.
1: How about you guys?
0: Uh, Battlefrogs, Phoenix, at the end of this month.
1: And what's the distance?
0: Um, 16k. Okay.
1: You going, Ben?
3: I, I will be there. Whether or not I'm, I'm uh, trotting or walking. That's like we're it's kind of funny. This comes up again because that's a, um, a obstacle completion mandatory course. So I mean, even if I walk the course and I complete all the obstacles, there's going to be some guys that don't.
1: Well, first of all, let's not concern ourselves with whether we can walk or run. All if right. I can't get you to run well by then, <laughs> I'm fired. <laughs> no, right. trust me. You you're not going to have this issue in two weeks. All right. If you do what you're supposed to do, you're not going to have this problem in two weeks. I'm pretty confident of that.
3: I'm excited about it. All right. But uh, yeah, Battle Frog Phoenix in, uh then the, at the end of the at the end of the month, I guess.
1: Okay, so because it's New Year's resolution time, aside from the sport, aside from the training, does anybody have any profound resolutions they're planning to take on?
3: Aside from the sport, yep. Oh man, um, uh, I can tell you. I can tell you a small one I have is to finish finish the books that I open. <laughs> that's a good I have, one. I have, well, actually, yeah, and it's kind of not even uh, too unrelated from the sport because I'll start. Uh, you, you recommended a book, uh, the Ana- the anatomy of a runner. Um, that that's the next on my list. I just have a bad habit of opening a book and then starting another one before I finish the previous.
1: Did you get the book?
3: I have not. I need to finish the one I'm on
1: for. <laughs> How about uh, you, Alex?
0: Yeah. Honestly, I don't. Like, my mind right now is just on racing.
1: <laughs> well, so. yeah. well, that's good. That's singularly focused. Yeah. That's important. How about you, Jack?
2: Uh, my year is going to be pretty insane towards the end of it, because I'm, I'm going to be taking my tests to become a professional engineer. When you have four years of experience, that's when you're able to take it, and you get a lot more responsibility. When the week after uh, OCR World Championships in Canada, and the week before, or, or okay, so OCR Worlds is like October fifteenth. The weekend after that, I'm going to be the best man in my best friend's wedding, and then the weekend after that, I take the test. So I'm just trying to survive 2016 in October.
1: <laughs> wow, yeah,
2: that's my resolution.
1: Well, I got to tell you. Here I am, I'm leading into uh, 2016, I'm 63 years old right now, and used to be back in the day when I was competing and doing the things I did, I was really pretty good about my diet, pretty good about getting the training in, I was one of those where the weather didn't get in my way, you know, didn't matter if it was cold, you sucked it up and you get out there and did it anyway, and over the years I just kind of lost that, that resolve, I'm just not as mentally tough where those things are concerned. I guess the difference is it's just not as important to me as it once was, mm-hmm. but uh I've identified that what I really need is an exorcism i i'm <laughs> I need to pull the yeah, um, I need to pull yeah, the devil completely of the devil. out of my ass and just take a little bit uh more care. Because I'm just getting sloppy and it's, uh, I don't like it. It's it's just huh. got to get sorted out.
2: You gonna run a race?
1: You know I don't I don't know that I'll run a race. And I tell you the reason is because I just uh, I can't live up to my own expectations. You know. I hear you. I mean yeah. I know what my physical limitations are at the moment, and I could certainly get better, but even then it won't be what I once was, and it. When you get to this place in the game, like, it's, it's like looking at a professional fighter. We were talking about fighters briefly earlier. You know, you get to a place where you say, you know what, dude, don't do it again. Don't, <laughs> don't go up in the ring there and have that guy beat your te- teeth up. It's, it's like, it's kind of like that. It's like, you just got to know when to put a fork in it. Now, the, the good news for me is I live vicariously through the athletes I work with. I'm right. I'm very fortunate in that I really enjoy what I do. And when I work with athletes and I help them to get to a better place, that's my reward. And so, it, to be honest with you, I get pissed off when I have invested time in an athlete and they just kind of blow it off. You know, just decide, ah, screw it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna worry yeah. about it this year. And I'm thinking, you totally bitch! Sure. After <laughs> after all the time yeah. and energy and loss of sleep that I had trying to get you to a better place, you decide you don't want to play anymore.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you yeah, want to. So true. Uh, so, uh, but I I do I I have my opportunity to get my yayas out, and this has been you know reflecting on 2015. It was a it was a really really interesting year for me. Um, by no means was it a financial boon, but um, I met a lot of. I'm listening to you guys right now, talking to you guys right now. These are all new folks in my world that I, I've met. So many athletes over the course this year, and I really enjoy the whole obstacle racing community because, as I'm sure you'll share with me, is that relative to all the other sports, it's a different type of mentality. I think it was uh, uh, Matt Campion, he he posted the other day, and I thought it was an interesting post, he said, as competitive as he is, he looks forward to competing with versus competing against his fellow athletes and and i thought that was kind of cool that he he just loves to be in the game and to if he takes a good fight he'll he'll take a good fight you know opposed to getting all bent on whether he beats somebody or you know into depression because he got beat by somebody right
2: yeah oh yeah
1: so it's a cool
2: i'd I'd say that a lot of i I was going to say i'd I'd say that there's been a pretty big transformation like with ocr because when i when i'd run races in high school i'd i'd only talk with my teammates and stuff and we wouldn't venture around but like you go to these races and people are after they've competed an hour later they're standing over by the platinum rig cheering people on it it, even if you're the best or you're middle of the pack it doesn't matter people just seem very genuinely happy to see other people succeed because they went through that same thing you know minutes beforehand and they know how tough it is right
3: yeah, it's definitely uh, one of the strong points of, uh, I wouldn't say convincing people to get into the sport, but telling them about the sport, people are always hesitant and say, oh, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't run, I can't get on that, I can't do a pull-up, and at the end of the day, the OCR world is so, so judge, not judgmental, you know, it's uh, It's about helping each other, you know, being there for one another, like Jack just said, uh, you know, I've been on a rig and, and uh, seen first place come back and, you know, they're helping you, giving you pointers and that, they're not there to Laugh at you or anything, you know. The OCR world is just about one another more than any other sport, I think.
1: I, I need to get a, team, a relay team, and the relay team would be responsible for relaying my ass through the course.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> because I don't think I could. You know, I could probably get across a couple of the rigs. I have enough upper body strength to do it, but I, I just slow. I'm just so slow. I gotta, I gotta lose about four people's worth of body weight to be able to get competitive. <laughs> oh. <again. laughs> Yeah. Hey, there's some guy
2: on mud run guy that they're tracking. He he started out at like 600 pounds and he's doing a bunch of races every month. So he can do it. You can too.
1: Oh my god! You know, I, every now and then I'll see somebody like that and I just want to slap them. You know, <laughs> they're making me look bad.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, listen, guys. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. I'm looking forward to working with all of you in the in the coming year. I'm expecting to see nothing but pewter and podium. <laughs> the double piece. Yeah, definitely. I'm alright with that. Alex is going to come out and show the women what's up.
0: <laughs>
1: Alex, are you you have any designs on doing world's toughest mutter?
0: Um, I don't. I mean, sometimes I do, but I guess right now my focus is that middle distance is where it's at.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a smart move on your part to to leave that alone. Uh, I, I just. Ah gosh, I can't even think about trying to be competitive at that distance. It's just too harsh. You know. I I'd rather I like racehorses. I like people that are going to throw down hard for a few hours and uh the just the complexity of the sport at that point is much more entertaining to me than suffering mm-hmm. through 24 hours with the gruel. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah I mean, well, as is definitely a beast. You can't approach it anywhere. It's gonna, It's going to get at you.
2: yeah Yeah, you might look at them and they're going two miles an hour, but doing that for a day in a row, huge respect for that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen, guys, uh, we're going to cut this out, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon, and Happy New Year.
2: All right, Happy Happy New Year. Year, everybody.
1: All right, cheers.
2: Thanks for having us on. You bet.
1: Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you, I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.